morning. It's good to see you. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us uh, right now from an off-site campus or uh, maybe in the chapel or the warehouse here, maybe on the internet or a podcast, wherever you happen to be. Uh, we're glad that you're along too. Have you got enough to eat this week? Did you get enough? Okay, good. Have you got a little bit too much? Just be honest. Come on, be honest. A little too much. All right, this is great. Love this time of the year. Um, eat too much. That's all right. We have all next year to deal with it, right? Last year, we're going to do it again this year. Last year, for the first uh, about 21 days of January, we did a 21-day fast. How many of you remember that? The church did it. God met with us. We're going to do it again this year. Last year, I lost 17 pounds during the fast, and I've gained 23 of it back. And uh, so, <laughs> so uh, hopefully we'll, we'll do better this year. Well, I'm, I'm glad you're here. It's an awesome weekend. And um, I've been looking forward to this weekend. Let me tell you why. Uh, this summer, I had the opportunity to speak at the National uh, Conference for the denomination that I grew up in. And when I was there, I connected with my friend Dave. And uh, I said, Dave, it's been a few years since you've been at Seacoast. I, I, I want you to come back because we've grown just a little bit. And we, I, the, our people need to hear your story. How many of you like a good story? You like a good story? I love a good story. And this morning will be a little bit, bit different. Usually we just go verse by verse through whatever um, Bible chapter that we're reading. And, and today, uh, I just want you to hear a story of the greatness and the goodness of God. Um, my friend Dave has spoken to thousands and thousands of churches and schools all over uh, America. In fact, uh, already this weekend we've had, what, two or three services already here at Long Point and... Uh, We've had people that have come and said, I heard you here, and your life was changed here, and went all, all over the United States. And um, he's spoken to hundreds of thousands of people. Um, he, um, he spoke just this week at the uh, chapel for the New York Giants when they played Denver on Thanksgiving in uh, New York Lost. But Dave's better than that. Dave probably, I don't know, what is it their fault? But anyway, um, Dave is a war hero, a real a uh, war hero from the Vietnam War. Uh, I've heard his story so many times. And I told him, I've told the congregation in the last couple of services, I've probably heard his story a dozen times. And I cry at the same places every time. He said, what do you want me to do this year? I said, tell your story. We've got to hear your story. And, and then a little bit about what God is doing now. And so what I want you to do is I want you to stand on your feet and welcome, if you would, my friend Dave Reaver as he comes. Go get him, man. Go get him. Thank you. Thank you. You're just doing that because you mean it. <laughs> Are you happy? I guarantee you this is one awesome church. If you guys don't like what you got, travel with me and see what I put up with. Man, good music. I thought that drummer was good. I don't know why he got all that bulletproof glass around him. <laughs> yeah. I am just thrilled to be here. You don't mind if I sit down, do you? I've got a leg that doesn't like me. I'm allergic to pain. I break out in tears. <laughs> so this is comfortable for me, and thanks for letting me do that. I'm from Fort Worth, Texas. And yeah, we got TCU, <laughs> the Horned Frogs. <laughs> Undefeated for whatever that's worth in Fort Worth. But... Uh, 
that's our headquarters. I'm actually from Colorado. I live at 9,000 feet. Oxygen is very rare up there. And I always love it when I come to the Gulf Coast. I have so much energy. Well, I said Gulf Coast, wherever I am. <laughs> I forgot. Uh, I woke up this morning and heard the story. The guy kept waking up every morning. He traveled so much, he'd, in the middle of the night, he'd wake up. Couldn't remember where he was, so he wrote himself a note. You know, you're in the San Antonio Sheridan, you're in the uh, Houston Hilton, whatever. He woke up and there's a woman in his bed, and he panicked. And he grabbed the paper and he said, "It's your wife, stupid. You're at home." <laughs> <laughs> Boy, that was pushing the envelope, wasn't it? <clears throat> I'm 63 years old and I'm living the best year of my life. I've never been so happy, never worked so hard, never gone so far. And had more fun doing it than I am now. Isn't that cool? At 63. That's, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy. I'm having a great life. And, and it's because I've kept my life centered on Christ. I, I honestly tell you that well, I work mostly in the secular world. On Sundays, I'm in churches. But the rest of the week, I'm with military. I'm in schools. I, I, whatever. So I always enjoy Sundays because it's here I get the liberty to just talk about how much Jesus means to me. And I love him. And where I'd be without him is not even, I can't imagine. I grew up in a Christian home, and my mom and dad were wonderful believers, and my dad being a pastor, I attended his church. <laughs> I wanted to eat. <laughs> my mom was invalid. She uh, was curled up in a fetal position for several decades and incommunicado. It was hard to watch her suffer. I don't understand all the things about God and why he lets things go sometimes. I'll see if I can get some answers on that later. But usually before a man dies, he gets most of those answers along the way. And that one I hadn't figured out yet, but God's still God, and he's God no matter what. He's a good God, amen? Uh, I was uh, taught that you can test God on at least one thing, test him on finances, you know? Did you guys know that? It's the one thing God said, test me in. So I put him to the test a couple of months ago, and he got an F. <laughs> the money just didn't come in, and I complained about it, too. I took it to the principal. I said, hey, you know. And two weeks later, God answered the prayers, and I'm thinking, you know, if he would operate on my schedule, she would make life a lot easier for me. But, you know, a little further down the road, you look back, you say, oh, that's why. You know, aren't you glad we can trust him? When you don't understand, you can't figure it out, you can still forgive God. Isn't that a weird way to put it? Because I've had to forgive him several times, only to find out later he was right all along. And when he sent me to Seacoast, he was blessing me. He was showing me how much he loves me to get to come be with you guys. How's that for kissing up? <laughs> I do love you. I, I love your pastor. <laughs> His dad has been my friend. And, I love him so much, and uh, I'd miss getting to be around him. Now I'm 63, as I said, and I'm not over the hill. I am the hill. <laughs> uh, talk about gaining 23 pounds, man. I'm not even going to go there. I got so fat I can sit in my own lap. <laughs> I told myself a ghost story. <laughs> I'd already heard it. <laughs> you got to think about that a while. That's sick. <laughs> I'm happily married. <clears throat> Excuse me. I have four grandkids. 
And uh, my little granddaughter crawled up in my lap not long ago. And she's five and a half years old, blonde hair, blue eyed little angel. She squeezed my shot up, burn mutilated face between her perfect little fingers. And she put her nose right up to my face and she said, Papa. That's <laughs> so cool because, you know, in the South where Southern speak is spoke proper, <laughs> we know what Papa means. You know, it's mighty man of God, holy man of war. I knew you knew that, but. You get up north, they think Papa's cattle feed. They don't know what you're talking about. Yankees. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry for all you snowbirds. But uh, she said, Papa, and I said, what, little angel? And she sang to me, holding this face, and her face right here. She sang, you are so beautiful to me. And she bounces to get vibrato, can't you see? And I couldn't see. I was crying and blowing snot bubbles, you know. <laughs> So I guess what I'm trying to tell you is you look at me and you tell I've been to hell and back. And even I wasn't as good off as those Hebrew boys came out of the fire furnace. They didn't even have the smell of smoke on them. I smelled like death when I came out. But I came out. I made it. Because God gave me the hope and the future that only comes from knowing him. And so I remember when I kissed my wife goodbye to go to Vietnam. I was at the airport in Dallas. Of all places, Love Field. <laughs> and I'm going to war from Love Field. And I kissed her goodbye. And I can, to this day, I can remember the salty taste of her tears on her lips when I kissed her. I remember that. It's both the most romantic moment and probably the most terrible moment in my life. That one kiss that just, it just spun my world around like a top. And I staggered away from her and she called me back. She said, Davy. And I turned and I said, what, Brenda? She said, are you coming back? I'm going to a war that would kill 59,000 people. I'm at the very apex of the worst time in the history of the war. And I make her a promise I can't keep. I looked at her and I said, I'll be back. I should have said, I'll be back. <laughs> then I could be governor of Texas. <laughs> I'll be back. And then I added this on. I don't know why I did this. I said, I'll be back without a scar. If I'd have just said, I'll be back, I'd have been fine. <laughs> why did I tack on that scar thing? It was like a subliminal, unconscious, that's not the right word, but uh, something going on in my head that God was preparing me for. And sure enough, on July the 26th, 1969, I broke that promise to that little girl. I loved her so much. I met her when I was 16. I asked her to marry me, and she slapped me. She said, I'm 13. I don't want to get married. This is not Kentucky, and I'm not your first cousin. <laughs> she, she said, if you love me, you'll wait for me. I said, I'll pick you up at 10 o'clock. I knew what she meant, and I waited for her. And for all the teenagers in the house, just want you to know, we were both virgins when we married. You can clap. I'll wait. Thank you. <laughs> someone, someone says to you, well, everybody's doing it. Say, Dave and Brenda waited. <laughs> Won't mean anything to them, but at least you got someone to lean on there. We waited. We were virgin when we married, and 43 years later, we're still married. <laughs> you thought I was going to say virgin. <laughs> yeah, you did. I heard you. I heard you went, huh? And then one day, 
I'm at Bible College. Everything's great. I'm having a good day. And I opened my post office box at the Student Union Building Post Office. And there's a letter I pulled out, and it said Selective Service Board, better known as the draft. Ask a kid in a school in California, how many of you know what the draft is? And this boy answered, yeah, dude, we drink it at Pizza Hut. <laughs> I said, no, dude, it's the space between your ears. <laughs> <laughs> he was blonde. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Why did I do? My son-in-law's blonde, and I told him a blonde joke the other day. I said, "What do you call a brunette between two blondes?" He said, "I don't know." I said, "An interpreter." And he said, "It's about time they tell brunette jokes." <laughs> I'm picking on a lovely lady in front of me. <laughs> well, what am I to say? My hair got blown off in Vietnam. I ended up with blonde hair. And uh, it's kind of halfway between blonde and gray. It's it's mine, but I had to buy it. I did. I've chased it across parking lots all over the country, man. <laughs> I had a dog bring it back once, shaking it like an air possum. Uh, artificial ear. It all got blown off. I'm not exaggerating. It's, uh, I got a lot of parts. I put them on the bed the other day. My wife said good night, and I was in the other room. <laughs> That's pretty bad. Isn't it interesting how you're laughing with me, not at me? You think about what I've just been doing. I've been talking about being shot up, burned up, mutilated, amputated, and we're laughing. You know as well as I could be sitting in a bar, popping tops, sucking suds, shooting drugs, beating my wife, molesting my kids. And a lot of people say, oh, he's normal, he's a Vietnam veteran. If that's normal, I'd rather be sick. If normal is that kind of life, call me a sicko because I can still laugh. But don't take my joy away from me. Don't take away from me the fact that I can still have fun because when the devil thought he had me down, he lowered the boom. He took his best shot. He fired and he hit me and knocked me halfway into eternity. And I'm still here because no weapon formed against me can prosper. And greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Don't you get it? It's not about me. It's about Jesus. Now, I have to use the word I a lot when I'm asked to tell my story. Inevitably, I becomes an overused proper, or whatever noun. <laughs> I, I was in the top 10% of the lower one-third of my class. <laughs> but what can I say except that this is what Jesus did for me, but it's not me that matters here. It's what Jesus did. It's about Christ. So when the grenade that I was holding that day on July the 26th, immediately following the War of 1812, I mean, most kids today don't even see Vietnam. They look at Vietnam like I used to look at Pearl Harbor and say, wow, that was, that was forever ago. But for me, Vietnam is yesterday. I have to live this story every day of my life. I get up and put on all my spare parts. I'm telling you, when I get out of the house, I'm at zero, and I have to hit 100% by the end of the day. It's like yesterday. And if we ask other Vietnam vets, and I'll tell you the same thing. It wasn't bad enough just to go to war. No, you had to come home and have people call you a baby killer and throw paint and urine at you. That didn't happen to me. I was lucky. I don't like that word, but I'm using it intentionally. I got to come home on a stretcher, charred, burned, of no value. So they said, well, he's, he's already paid for his sins. Let me tell you something, Vietnam veteran. If you can see me well from where you sit, look at these screens for a close-up. I'm proud of my scars and stripes, and I'm proud to be an American, and I'm proud to serve with you.
I mean that with all my heart. God bless America. And I'm glad I got all these parts. I got my ears from here. Do you know that? I got my ears at the Medical University of South Carolina. Dr. Benson Davis makes my ears. I'm going to leave one here and listen to what y'all say about me when I'm gone, too. <laughs> my ear fell off when I was preaching in Jamaica one night. I didn't know it fell off and everybody's sucking air like a hoover. <gasps> and they're pointing at me and they're not breathing. And I'm thinking, I got to do something or it's going to be Jonestown without the Kool-Aid. <laughs> I looked around and there was my ear. At least it was face up where I could talk to myself. I picked my ear up, dried to sweat and stuck it on. They thought it was a miracle and they all got saved. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't tell them it's a phony ear. They would have thought I was a phony preacher. They would have stoned me, and I didn't want to come here and tell you I went to Jamaica and got stoned. Everybody goes down there and gets stoned. Let's all get stoned. So I can say to you with a lot of humor, I got hurt in Vietnam instead of, you know, kind of blowing my life off because I got hurt in Vietnam. Everybody gets hurt. You don't have to go to Vietnam to get hurt. I go to Vietnam, get hurt, get a purple heart. You go to divorce court, get hurt, and get a broken heart and a dryer or whatever. For some of you, it's a pain. I mean, you deal with it every day, and forgiving is one of the hardest things you've ever had to deal with. You remember every nasty word spoken against you by your spouse. It's hard to deal with. See, there's scars on the outside, scars on the inside. Mine are a lot easier to deal with. July 26, 1969, as I said, I was holding a white phosphorus hand grenade, burns at 5,000 degrees Fahrenheit, which is half the heat of the sun. It literally will melt the engine out of your car. It's twice the heat necessary to do that. It was in a canister the size of a Coca-Cola can, and it only needs oxygen to spontaneously combust. And I was just getting ready to throw it, and I didn't know what happened until a month later in the hospital. They explained it all. I thought I was hit by a B-40 anti-tank rocket, which was our biggest Fear, the best weapon against us was an anti-tank rocket. And I'm on a fiberglass riverboat featured in a movie called Apocalypse Now. It's a little fiberglass boat. You can shoot a pistol through the side of it. And I'm standing up in full view. Well, whenever we beached the boat, I jumped down in the gun tub and I drew back the grenade to throw it. And when I did, it exploded. I didn't know what happened. A sniper put a bullet in my hand, shooting in my head. Blew the grenade right beside me. According to the doctors, half my skin was blown off right there. Went blind in my eye, deaf in my ear, which, by the way, I have my hearing back and I have my vision back. Now tell me if God's not good to me. <laughs> I can see through my eye, and I can hear through my ear, and I can see through my ear. <laughs> I can take it off and look through it. Got you, didn't I? I should have taken bets on that one. Well, I jumped off the boat in the water, but... White phosphorus, any veteran in here will tell you this. White phosphorus, you can't extinguish it. It has to burn in water. It will burn in water, I mean, and, and it won't put it out. You have to have some, some strange chemical, I don't know what it is, which I'd never heard of and still can't remember the name of to put that out. So I'm in the water no, I'm still burning. My skin is everywhere. I'm beside myself. <laughs> I needed to pull myself together. <laughs> Helicopter landed to pick me up. And they rolled me on the stretcher, and the stretcher caught on fire. And it ripped open. I fell through on my head. Have you ever had one of those days? <laughs> you get up one morning, have a bad year. Well, that was a bad day, I'll tell you that. And in the helicopter, I'm, I'm starting to feel the pain because the shock is wearing off. 
And I said, medic. And he almost jumped out of the helicopter. He thought I was dead. And I, I, I was wanting morphine. And it comes in a little package, and there's a tube, including the needle about that long. And it looks like a little super glue tube. And you crack off the outer cover, and there's a syringe. It's a needle. And you stick it in your leg and squeeze it, and it injects you with morphine, which takes away a lot of that pain. Well, when I said, medic, he grabbed the morphine, cracked it, and jammed it in his own leg. I'm thinking, boy, I hope you feel better. <laughs> Sorry to give you a rough day there, boy. Well, that got me to the hospital, and actually it was a mass unit, and then to a hospital in Saigon, and then to Japan, where I really stupidly asked for a mirror, and they really stupidly brought it. I looked up in the glass, and I saw what was left. It was, it was tough. It's not that I thought I was handsome, but... I didn't know who it was. And this side of my head was skull. This side was swollen to my shoulder. My eyeball turned gray and the right one was charred. And I thought, I'd, I'm dead. She's not going to love me. No teenage girl's going to love me. And I'm embarrassed to tell you this. And if you have a youngster in here, please, please help me get the message through to them. What I'm about to tell you was wrong. I did terrible. I should never have done it. I tried to take my life. And, I had no gun or knife, so I just pulled the tube out. I laid my head back and I waited to die. And I got hungry. <laughs> it's the wrong tube. <laughs> I pulled out lunch. And listen, you can die that way. But if you just smell one bowl of it too fast, you're plugging that tube back in. So plug it in, plug it in. You know, sometimes dying is easier than living. There's some of you in this room right now, the odds are in my favor to say this. There's some of you in this room right now would rather be dead than alive, facing some of the stuff you're facing, some of the pain you're knowing right now. Nights when you sit on the edge of the bed, you're overcome with anxiety attacks, and you don't know how you're going to deal with it. And I'm calling somebody out right now, and I'm telling you, listen to me. Listen to me, I understand. I know that feeling. But I have pretty good news for you. With Jesus, you can be anxious for nothing. It's going to be okay. Oh, it's easy to hear someone else say that. Yeah, well, I said it to myself enough times. I finally believed me. And it was okay. Because Jesus is the master of the seas. And when the storm is blowing, he can calm it. But you got to let him. And you can't let him as long as you're trying to take charge. Any any. Automobile with two steering wheels is destined for a crash. Let go of the wheel and let Jesus be the Lord. Everybody in this room agree with me. Put your hands together. He's a good God. He? Amen. Well, hasten along here. I, I was released from the hospital after a year and two months. That first day was unbelievable. They took me in in a stretcher and put me in a room. It's called the ICU, and I didn't know what that meant until four months later I got to take my first steps. And they gave me this little robe, and they don't come together in the back, you know. That's why they call it the ICU. <laughs> <laughs> I walk backwards a lot of places. <laughs> now you let visitors come in, and a woman came to see her husband. He was in the bed next to mine. 
He was burned 100% third degree and had no skin left. She walked in through her wedding ring on the bed. She said, you're embarrassing, and walked out. I said, well, that's it. There's no way. My teenage wife's not going to love me. And I was looking, I was trying to find which tube's the right one. How do I end this? And the door opened, and there she stood. And please forgive me if it sounds so carnal, but put yourself in this moment. Try to imagine. Here I am, absolutely tormented, not only in the flesh of my body being burned, but thinking that she would never love me. And the door opened, and there she stood, for goodness sake, in a mini skirt. I said, Doc, Doc. He said, What? I said, I'm getting better. <laughs> she came up and she kissed my face, the worst burned part of my body. And she looked me in my good eye. She said, I want you to know I love you. Welcome home, Davy. And when she says, Davy, <laughs> I said, I'm sorry, I can't look good for you. She said, You never were good looking. <laughs> Y'all are cold. I realized that day she loves me for who I am, not what I look like. Every man in the house can be thankful for a woman that doesn't judge the book by its cover. She's looking for security. She's looking for that manly man who will stand up in a community and do what's right, a man that provides shelter, love, relationship. We're looking for a pair of legs. God help men. Help us. God help us. You know what I'm saying? I'm being honest, aren't I? And you know something, guys? I think we need to start over in the whole image of how we treat a woman. Flowers are still appropriate. And if you're broke, go to the cemetery. I do. They're free everywhere. <laughs> flowers, man. Flowers. <laughs> you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you laugh. Well, I left the hospital. I did really well. I drove my car. Guy staring at me drove his car through a Dairy Queen. I was laughing while I was lifting my head off. I was at a light and it's changing colors. And I realized the guy behind me was honking. I took off. And when I did, it was red. And then I saw what I did. It hit my brake and he ran into me. So I caused two wrecks and I'm involved in one of them. I got out to apologize. Everybody at Dairy Queen thought I was drunk. Then they saw me and they thought they were drunk. The guy behind me rolled up his window and let me talk to him. I thought I'm going to tell him, look what you did to my face. <laughs> You knocked my face off. I wouldn't sue you. <laughs> That's sick. <laughs> they, uh, you know, I did really well right up to the point that 9-11 occurred. And on September 11, 2001, I went nuts in the hotel room watching those airplanes fly in those buildings. I yelled at God. I said, God Almighty, don't you leave me out of this war. Let me do something for my country. I spun around, looked at Brendan, and I said, I need an M-16. She said, you need to sit down before you have a stroke. No passion there. Two weeks later, I'm getting calls to go to the military installations throughout the U.S. We're gearing up for war, and they want me to talk to the troops about life after injury, life after war. So I went, and at Langley, they looked at me one day and said, would you go to the AOR, the area of responsibility? I said, wherever it is, whatever that is, I don't know, but I'll go. You send me. Here am I. So they sent me to Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, Oman, Qatar, United Arab, Arab Emirates, Afghanistan. And then when we went north into Iraq, I was in Kuwait. And they held me back till they got to Baghdad. And then they sent me in. I've now done five tours to Iraq. And I'm getting ready to do number six. And I'm going to tell you something. There's not a day go by 
Lord, I'm thankful to God that he allows me to minister to our troops. I'm the only minister in the entire history of this war, been permitted into the war zone to minister to our troops. And I consider it one of the highest honors of my life. It's not because I'm good looking, although that might help. It's not my mighty military. I'm tired, that hurt. It's not my intellect. I'm the top 10% of the lower one-third of my class. So what would it be? Could it possibly be that I've been there, done that? That's what I like about Jesus. He's acquainted with our grief and our sorrow. He was bruised for our iniquity. He still has scars. And if he's not ashamed of his, I'm not going to be ashamed of mine. And it's hard to deny a man with a scar because a scar is evidence you got hurt. It's evidence you got over it. So today I have the great joy of training our troops. I'm the only person doing this in the entire country. I'm training our troops in full-time ministry. I call them pulpit-pounding prosthetic preachers. And I built a ranch in Colorado, 300 acres right in the middle of a million acres of national forest. We built a lodge that is so gorgeous, it's unbelievable. We bring them in, and there we train them. We're an extension of Colorado State University and of the University of Colorado soon. That one's not yet secured completely. And we're also an extension of Southwestern University for seminary studies. We're making preachers out of these young warriors. It's so cool. They come and they're broken. Their lives are shattered. Their dreams are gone. And they walk out of that place and their lives are back together. I'm telling you, that's not an exaggeration. You ought to see it. So I thought maybe you'd like to see it. In fact, I brought a little DVD. You want to see it? Kind of shows what we're doing. I hope you enjoy it. Would you roll that? Thank you.
Someone asked me the other day, I was speaking for a Washington, D.C.-based advocacy group that is a government program to help the troops, and they said, you're the only person doing this. What does it cost for these guys to go through your program? And I said, well, it's very, very expensive. It's a, it costs an arm. And a leg. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of seeing this pain. I'm tired of seeing this mangling of our most precious treasure. I'm tired of seeing this suffering. I go into these hospitals and they're full of these kids. But God put me there for a reason. And I love the chance he's given me. There's going to be an offering taken later and I'm going to tell you something. If you want to give to this effort, you can. Right now we're getting ready to start a new session that we weren't planning on. We budgeted out. We finished right on schedule. We spent the last dollar. And the army called and said, can you do just one more? Just one more. It's all we need. Just one more. They booked us for five years at that ranch. I've had to buy another ranch in Texas. The good news is the ranch you just saw, market valued this uh, in October at four and a half million dollars. And it's paid for. We don't owe a penny. It's got good or what? It's paid for. And uh, the one in Texas will be paid for. God's already given me assurances of it. So if you want to help, you can help. We've got a session coming up. The Red Cross is paying half of it. That's all the money they had left at the end of the year. We're going to do the other half, and you can help on that. I love you guys. Thanks for letting me share this. Uh, afterwards, my whole story is available on DVD. There's one here. It's called the 40th Year Anniversary. And it's specifically geared to really be a blessing to Vietnam veterans. It's 40 years of history of some of the most incredible moments in our ministry, reaching out to Vietnam vets in stadiums across America. I had the joy of working with Dr. Graham for many, many years. and We share board members, and he's, a, he's been a great mentor to me. And then from a Promise Keepers, one of the most unique nights of my life in ever, in, in history ever of my life. This is, this is a night that I'll never forget. 2,500 men made a decision for Christ and waited you see what brought them to their knees. It's an amazing video. And then lastly, if you like CDs, one of you plug in your car and miss a few exits. This was sent to the Pentagon. It's my story recorded at Tommy Barnett's church out in Arizona. And uh, pardon my emotions today. They're just getting out of control. I'm all right. It's the carpet. It's getting to me. But we, uh, we took one of these and sent it to the Pentagon just to see if they'd put it in archives. And a general up there listened to it. And he ordered 100,000 more copies and asked me to personally deliver them to the troops in Iraq. I prayed about it. I said, let me pray about it. Amen. Okay. <laughs> so I went. It's been a huge joy to be with one of the great churches in all of America. In sign language with a blown off thumb, that means I love you. That's me sign language with a lisp. I'm Dave Reaver, and I approve of this message. Bye. <laughs>